Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello and welcome to the Mick Clifford Podcast with the Irish Examiner. Now, cast your mind back briefly, about eight years there was a major controversy around the man who came to be known as the Garda Whistleblower, Sergeant Morris McCabe. A central plank of that affair was hearings by the Public Accounts Committee, particularly when the Garda Commissioner, then Garda Commissioner Martin Cullinan, appeared as a witness. Two politicians were to the fore in questioning and probing the Commissioner. One was Mary Lou MacDonald, then Deputy Leader of Sinn Féin, and the other was Independent TD Shane Ross. Now, bring it back to this week and the publication of a book written by one of those individuals about the other. Shane Ross is the author of Mary Lou MacDonald, A Republican Riddle. The book is a biography of the Sinn Féin leader and it's already caused some ripples and I'm guessing will cause a few more. It's a very accessible read, as you might expect from Shane, who is a former journalist and government minister, and he brings all his writing skills and political insights to the task. Shane Ross, you're very welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Mick. Good morning. Shane, tell me first, why did you write this book? I suppose Mary Lou MacDonald is the most fascinating politician in Ireland at the moment. And when I say in Ireland, I mean both north and south of the border. And she's fascinating because, for, for, for an awful lot of reasons, but one of the reasons is that she's poised to be the next Taoiseach, possibly. I mean, probably, maybe, she, the bookies would make her the favourite. But th- there are also a lot of unanswered questions about her. There's a lot of unknown things about her, which I, which I, I thought would be interesting for, for the person who's in that particular position. And people, other people wanted to know more about her, more about her background, more about what makes her tick, uh, what her relationship is with the with the harder men and the IRA that that was, uh, and basically whether Mary Lou Macdonald is a real believer, why she was in Finna Fall on the way up, and all sorts of questions about her which nobody knows much about, and that's what I that's what I investigated, and I I, I found it absolutely fascinating. I knew her well, I I still know her well, um, and I asked her for. Uh, assistance in certain parts of the book, which she, which she said she would not give me after about a week's thought. And that's absolutely fair enough. So I, I went ahead with the book and, and investigated without her. It would have been easier with her, but it did. at the end of the day, it's probably a better book without without being an authorised biography. Yeah, and one aspect of that, and you write of this in the introduction at some length, and it's very interesting. Uh, understandably, on one level, Mary Lou didn't want to cooperate. That's very much par for the course, I'd suggest, with a lot of public figures in terms of a, a, a book being written about them. But you write that she did say that even though she wasn't going to cooperate, she would not stand in the way of others talking to you. And you also write that uh, when she initially wants to decide her decision, she wanted to go away and talk to a few people unspecified people, you suggest. Now, what was interesting was what happened subsequently when you went to try and contact other people in the what you might call the, the, the wider Sinn Féin orbit. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think I think it was interesting that she said she wouldn't stand the way. And I think I think that's probably true. Um to a large extent. She was uncomfortable with the idea. She's she said she thought it was uh, 
premature, I think was the way, word she used when she came back. Uh, and I wasn't completely surprised. In some ways I was because I thought it would help her if she were to introduce me. Really, I wanted to meet members of her family, actually, and just, just to get stories about, you know, her childhood and what she was doing in those, uh, those times, background, which no biography is really complete without. Uh, and I thought she would do that, but she, 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 she didn't. And that was, that was obviously fair enough. Um, when I went to speak to other people, that was, that was interesting. I left it, I left it a little while and then, I, you know, and then I decided to go and talk to people who would have been regarded as, I suppose, initially I started with people who would have been regarded as fairly hardline Sinn Féin, maybe former members of the IRA. And the first reaction was, yes, I rang Jerry Kelly in, in Northern Ireland and I said to him, look, I'd like to talk to you. He was a kind of key man in, in that, in that sphere. And he said, yes, absolutely fine. And I'd bring along a couple of other people who, who accompanied me on my journey. And uh, then it just, the trail ended. Uh, he, I never could get hold of him again. Uh, and then I started with, I, I continued with even talking Jerry Adams and he came back and said, no. Uh, and then there was a series of them. Absolutely every single one of them said no. And then I, I, I talked to a lot of people here who I know well because they'd be Sinn Féin members in the Doyle who were there with me, who I'd be very friendly with, um, as, I, as I was with, with Mary Lou. And I asked them, and, and their initial reaction, again, was, okay. And then there was a series of people, they just blocked, they dropped out one by one by one, after, I think, reference to the press office, which the Sinn Féin press office just said, don't do it as far as I can see. That's the only conclusion I can, I can draw. Uh, and, you know, Sinn Féin likes to be in control of its message. That's the way it works. And it is in control of its message. It does. People don't veer from that, certainly not openly. So it was a difficult start. But after that, as you know, because in any political party, there are people who leak and there are people who talk and there are people who have a somewhat different agenda from the, from the leadership. And then people started talking to me off the record. Yeah, and I suppose you were well placed in that regard because, as you say, Sinn Féin is very well known for how tightly it controls the message. But because of your own involvement in politics and the natural interaction you would have had with people, therefore, you know, they knew the cut of your jib, so to speak, and they might have been more willing to talk. Whereas it shows you how difficult somebody coming from the outside <coughs> trying, <coughs> excuse me, trying to do something like that once it's been decided, uh, omerta, so to speak, is going to apply. Uh, it shows how difficult that could be. Interesting also, Shane, I have to say that I've looked at some of the reaction to your book, which, as I said, I found highly accessible and, and very interesting. But what I found interesting, too, was some of the reaction, both in publications and some people who commented on it. Your previous book, In Bed with the Blue Shirts, the very same individuals found that to be a, a, a great read altogether. <laughs> and this was awful, which really uh, kind of sums up one wonders about the objectivity. But that's that's another matter altogether. Yeah. Now, could I suggest that you, you, it would seem that your central theme in the book is that Mary Lou was spotted by Jerry Adams and Martin McGuinness as having the potential to bring Sinn Féin to a new level of popularity, her middle-class Dublin background, her complete separation from the violence, all of that sort of thing, uh, and that thereafter they decided she was to be the anointed one. That of itself, Shane, I'd suggest, is not unusual in a political party that somebody with potential is spotted. What is unusual, and, and you seem to posit this theory very much so, is that once they decided that, that was it. There was not going to be the usual jockeying for position or backstabbing or any of the kind of stuff you would find 
in a normal political party when different individuals are trying to make it to the top? Yeah, that was a really interesting part of of the, of the book. A lot of it, everything went on behind closed doors in terms of promotions and who was push, pushed up where. But Mary Lou was spotted, you know, 20 years ago. She came into the party uh, in, in circumstances which were which I, I think are outlined in in the book, but but it's not still quite clear how she was actually manoeuvred in. But after she got in, she was immediately anointed. She was immediately promoted. She was immediately spotted as someone who was going to go probably all the way to the top because it fitted the image of the party as it was changing itself from being a party which which supported violence into a party that supported the ballot box. And it you know within months of being in the party, she was in a photograph and unpublished with with Jerry Adams. That is a sign of great approval. And then she was put into the Art Cola uh, in 2001. That's one year later. Uh, again, unopposed. Then in 2004, she was elected to the European Parliament, got the nomination, was lifted straight through the ranks. Other people might have wanted it, but she got it. Then 2005, she became chairman of the party, unopposed. 2009, she became vice president of the party, unopposed. And then she was leader of the party in 2018, Unopposed. There was never, ever an opponent to her in any, of the, in any of the party positions she's ever held. And that tells you that these things are done in a different way, I suppose, uh, in Sinn Féin than in other parties. There's none of the, as you say, backbiting. There was no opposition, overtly at least, to any of her promotions, which were kind of pretty meteoric and almost inevitable at any stage in the party. That's not to say that there wouldn't have been the same result. But I think there were other people who might have opposed her in those positions, but their names never went into the hat. Yeah, and that's interesting, I suppose, from another point of view, that uh, anybody who gets to the top of a, a political party has to be equipped, obviously, with various attributes. And you would acquire some of those in your journey, so to speak, there. But if your journey has been paved and all opposition is out of the way, does that leave open questions as to your, you know, the, the political attributes one might have and need in a leadership role? Mm. Yeah, of course it does, because they're never, they're never properly tested, because part of, the, part of the process in a normal political party is that you have to, your biggest opponents are inside rather than outside. And here, what she benefited from, I think, more than anything else, was that she was always the protégé of Gerry Adams and Martin McGuinness. Uh, and both of them backed her all the way. And if you were backed by Martin McGuinness in Sinn Féin, as it was, and by, and by Jerry Adams, opposition was pointless because they were so powerful within the party. So it, it tells you more about the party than about her. But, it, but certainly, I suppose, she lacks the sort of normal, traditional party infighting of having to stand for an election internally and win because that, that sort of opposition was put down and not, and not, not really allowed. And there were no... There are no even hints of it, really. In the leadership, there was talk about Pierce, Pierce Doherty, coming through. And I, I talked to one or two members of Sinn Féin who told me that, in fact, they thought if had there been a democratic vote, and there was an interesting observation, several of them, Pierce would have won, that he was actually more popular with the ranks of within, within, within Sinn Féin. He would, have won, he, he would have actually won because there was... It's kind of kind of dormant resentment, but but to to Mary Lou because because of her background because she wasn't he was from Border County she was she was from from South Dublin very well off uh, or apparently very well off and they they feel that Pierce would have actually won but that wasn't the 
That wasn't the, 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 the plan of the leaders, and the leaders won in Sinn Féin. The leaders could impose uh, their preferred candidate. It was a tradition there on the troops. But, um, yeah. you, you know, in, Mary Lou did have to work at the leadership, but I think it was part of the deal that she did, and she had to work at it very, very hard at some stage. Yeah, as you say, it's a tradition. Like the the only uh, <laughs> the only leader they had prior to that was Jerry Adams, yeah. which says says a lot of itself. But to be fair to her, just two, two points about that. First of all, uh, irrespective of how relatively easy she had in that ascent, she has shown herself, as you well know from your own experience, to being a very competent parliamentarian at the very least. Whatever about political judgment, those things will probably be tested greater in the years to come. The other thing about her is, and you make a certain amount of a chain in terms of initially she was in Fianna Fáil, but to be fair, within Fianna Fáil she was very much, according to your own uh, account of it even, at the Republican end and that therefore somebody of that ilk uh, transferring over to Sinn Féin wouldn't be that unusual. No, I think that's fair. I mean, you know, there's a bit of a mystery about how, what happened to her in Fianna Fáil. I think we sorted out in the book and and, and about her transfer. Uh, and there's still questions about whether it was a career move because she saw great opportunities there or whether she was a, or, or she, whether she was a really convinced Republican who, 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 wanted to move, who wanted to move to Sinn Féin because it reflected her views better. Um, she, she, what she, and that is, you know, the, this isn't meant to be a, a negative book. It's meant to, it's meant to be both mm. sides of the, the story. I know there's been some some negative reaction on on both sides, by the way, uh, to it. But she, yeah, her, her her transfer was her transfer was 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 something which could certainly be put down to conviction because those people I talked to in Finna Fall said, well, that the, the the process of the transfer was very mysterious and extremely sudden. But they also say that she was a bit of a troublemaker within Fianna Fáil on the Republican wing. Uh, and that, that is inter- interesting, and it is consistent with what she says herself, that she was believed in the United Ireland. Now, there was all sorts of questions to be asked about whether she did or not. But she was, Fianna Fáil found her a bit of a pain in the neck because she kept reminding them of their, of their Republican uh, commitment, which they weren't keeping on extradition and things like that. And that's, that's why she's supposed to have left, and that's what she says. Now, she, she was at one Fianna Fáil Ardesh, uh, which was reported at the at the time, but what she said at that Ardesh was 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 you're not being Republican enough. You're not Republican enough for me, and we should be doing something about the RUC. So there is a consistency there. The the problem on that on on that is that she basically attributes her Republican uh, crusade to this hunger strike, which was in 1981, uh, and then she didn't refine that particular enthusiasm for about 17 years. 16, 17 years. In the meantime, she had every opportunity to be a Republican or to be political. And that was that actually went kind of dead for, for all that period of time. She was doing everything else. She was in, you know, she would, the fact that she was privately educated, that's fine, but that you can be a Republican, be privately educated. But what she didn't do is when she was at university, at Trinity, uh, she, she never showed any interest in politics at all. That, that's kind of strange. Yeah, and I think she was about 12 when the hunger strikes actually occurred. But, you know, pe- people can get um, th- those sort of things, can leave an impression even at, at that kind of age. Mm. The other thing is uh, through her college years and that, and again, this isn't exclusive, but sometimes you'll find that people who go on to have very prominent roles, that this is obvious from an early age and that they were prominent in politics or, or whatever in college. But she uh, doesn't seem to have come to much attention in that respect. No, she, she absolutely none. 
It's it. I couldn't find. I talked to Ivana Bacic, who was a contemporary at first, the leader of the Labour Party, about her. Absolutely no way was she involved that in any way that Ivana could perceive. She didn't know she was there. Sarah Carey, who again is a well-known columnist and uh, was has been involved in all sorts of politics, was at Trinity at the same time of her, and didn't see, uh, didn't see any sign of, didn't know Mary Lou was even in Trinity. So I think she managed to do the normal life of a student, which is. Absolutely fine, but just not get involved in, you know, debating historical societies, politics, Sinn Féin comments, which she could, or Fianna Fáil comments, which she could have been a member of, and which she was so prominent in later on. It's stra- it's a strange thing, which she, 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 she hasn't properly explained. Yeah, I suppose it's a strange thing in one way. In another way, <laughs> you could argue that uh, having a very uh, normal relatively normal time in your early 20s in college, rather than being actively involved in politics and what have you, might actually end up being a benefit in the long run that you you, you weren't inculcated in the ways of these things early on. But, you know, I suppose there's a couple of ways of looking at that. It is, I suppose, unusual with a lot of people who who, um, who end up being prominent. Yeah, but she does say um, that her Damascus moment was when she was 12. Now, that, That's a fair I, point. You know, and and so what happened on the roads of Damascus in the next in the next sixteen years? I don't I don't I just you know you don't get it. But if you read it up, I think you probably understand better. You know, you've read it. But a that's bit of, a fair point. That, yeah, yeah. That as John Lennon famously described about himself, a lost weekend which yeah, can go on right. for years. Yeah, I'd also have to say that if any if anybody, if anybody judged me and what I was at in college, and <laughs> well, that's right. predicted, I'd have reached thirty. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. Oh, we don't want to be killed, um, Joyce. She had a good time, but I mean, fair enough. Yeah, enough. yeah, yeah. In fairness, yeah. To know what's really happening, subscribe to the Irish Examiner today at irishexaminer.com forward slash subscribe. Now, again, back to the central theme, Shane, and, and this is a thing that I think people, particularly in Sinn Féin, and some who suggest they're not in Sinn Féin anyway, but would take exception of it, you do seem to suggest that right up to the present day, more or less, that she is not in control of the party as one might expect of a leader, and that to a huge extent, um, I don't know, you, you you don't say strings are pulled, but I'm, I'm paraphrasing, that it's, it's the old guys in Belfast who'd been in the IRA, who were getting on in years, who were the leaders of the so-called Republican movement, that they are ultimately the real power behind the throne. Yeah. There's a lot of people in Sinn Féin who have huge problems with that. Yeah, they do. And, and, and I understand that. And they assert it absolutely emphatically time and time and time again and say that, and she does as well, and say that that, that doesn't happen. I think you've got to look at, at, ask this question, is there still an army council, right? That's a question which is constantly asked. And the, and the you know, the, the last statement from the Garda Commissioner and from the PSNI was that there is an army council operating in a certain way. If you ask people, and I ask in the book. Uh, How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. 
Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Um. If you ask Arlene Foster, she'll say, yes, there is in a form, probably. If you ask Jeffrey Donaldson, they do say, yes, there is in some form. That You'd expect them to say that. Right, yeah. that's, that's fair enough. If you ask, if you ask Colin Eastwood, he, he says, look, there is a, an army council in a reduced form. He, he doesn't know exactly what form it is, but his belief is that it's operating in the, in the world of finance, at least, and it, and it has got an influence as well. And he says said to me in the interview, he says he, it's very difficult to believe that Mary Lou sees herself as Jerry Adams' boss, even now, right? And there is, there is undoubtedly a belief, and it's, you know, the guards would have an idea, the, uh, the guard commissioner would have an idea, that there, is, there, is, there are other forces at work in a reduced form, certainly, which are not normal in a political party there. Uh, and that would that could take that could take the meeting and deciding, putting pressure here, there, and everywhere. But there are individuals there who are obviously deeply involved in what the IRA call the war up there, who are still influential influential in the party. And I went to the uh, Ardesh, Champagne Ardesh, last uh, October, and I was kind of looking out for this. I was I was trying to ascertain whether whether these guys were around and what they were doing, etc. Now Adams was not there. Uh, because he's he would have stolen the show and they didn't want him there because he would have done that. And other people who involved in the armed struggle, like Martin Ferris, Martin Ferris was was who who I think you know can safely say was 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 very much involved in the armed struggle. He was not there, but he was in hospital. But then I looked out for other people who were and I, I don't know whether it's safe to name them here or not. Maybe not. I better not. Okay. I looked up looked out for other people who are very identifiably and have been named elsewhere as being uh, members of the army council and they were there and they were and they were there in a, in 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 a, in a kind of strange form they were they would they weren't mixing really with the ordinary tds at all they were sitting at tables miles apart and kind of holding court and talking to each other and i'm talking about people from you know from south south Amar, some some of them uh, one or two of them would have been from uh, belfast and others from 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 derry but they were identifiably what the IRA calls military people. Uh, but they were there and they were obviously deferred to by quite a large number of people. Just, okay, and take that scenario, absolutely. Now, what if that scenario suggests that these were people who are looked up to within the broader so-called Republican movement because of the, their role in the violence and etc. and the origins of Sinn Féin and all that and they have a certain standing in that regard. But... In terms of how the party strategically is operating, it's perfectly plausible that they have no role. Now, you know, I mean, on two levels, first of all, on the policy level in that, I don't think anybody's suggesting, for example, to get involved in housing policy, health, whatever, any of that stuff, that most of it is to do with strategic and to do with the, the, the great project of reunification. But even in that respect... It's perfectly plausible that these individuals are there and they're deferred to, as you say, on the base of their record, but that they don't have any real influence. 
I think it's it's unlikely that they have no real influence. I think uh, when you you saw when when Jerry Adams got into a certain amount of trouble with his uh, his Christmas greetings with mm. Santa Claus last uh, last Christmas, and when Owen O'Brien, who is one of the new, new bright sparks, he's not that new, but he's one of the intellectuals from down here, one of the Sinn Féin, no military record at all, guys said that he thought that Jerry Adams should apologise. It was an interesting test between those that old wing and the new wing. And Mary Lou, um, Mary Lou, David Cullinan, and and one other whose name I can't, I can't recall, one other TD, immediately jumped when they were asked who was right and who was wrong. Adams, uh, Adams got their loyalty. O'Brien was thrown to the wolves for a while, thrown under a bus for a while, and Mary Lou specifically came down on Adams' side. On that, right? That was interesting. That indicated to me that that the power, the power of the old guard is still there, and the influence of the old guard is still there. I'm not saying it's all dominant. I think she is powerful because she's she's because she's got such a fantastic democratic electoral mandate. But don't write them off. Don't say you know Adams has been thrown to the wolves. Not at all. I think I think, and, and it was two years ago. I think that there was a very interesting interview with. Uh, Hugh O'Connell of the of the Sunday Independent, and and he interviewed Mary Lou quite quite uh, forensically, and he said, "How often do you talk to Adams?" And it was quite clear at that stage. She said he was, you know, a very wise guy, and 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 she took his counsel at that stage. So that I don't think there's there's a complete kind of break of that of that link. I think it's still there. And if, if you look at uh, Bobby Story's funeral, which which was held in 2020, uh, when she was still leader, the there, there was a message went out from that, and I'm not saying that it's necessarily the case, but but the message went out from that, because the the last coffin carry, which is the important one, the last people to carry the coffin, were all people. It wasn't Mary Lou, it wasn't anybody, anybody, it wasn't anybody from uh, from the from the from the non-military wing. It was all the military people. It was the six people who you would closely identify with the old military wing. So messages are going out, hey, we're still around. They're not going out that we've still got guns or anything like that, but we're still around and we can do things our way when we want to. And if that is the case, Shane, um, in terms of policy, I'd suggest the only thing that really would come in that sphere would be the issue, the national question, the issue over the country. I, 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 I genuinely don't think, even if it were the case, they get involved in policy in terms of bread and butter stuff. Mm. But presumably, if that is the case, is there any suggestion that they might have control over some of the finances? Or, or I mean, how serious is that? And how serious would you regard it in terms of democratic norms? Yeah, I think I think there's an answer. There's... Questions have to be answered about the finances, certainly still. Um, and and they, Sinn Féin has an enormous amount of money and, and it spends an awful lot of money on, on uh, you know, on political activities in the South. And I think that people are still looking for answers to the questions like where some of the money went, what, where the funding's coming, coming from, uh, and how they managed to have quite such a kind of large staff and extravagant role. I think that there, there is a kind of lack of inquisition and inquiry about political parties and exactly what they're up to. And I think that's, that applies not just to Sinn Féin, but to others as well. OK, well, let me put another way to you. We all remember uh, 
prior to 2016, Donald Trump, he's quoted, he said to somebody, if he went out in Fifth Avenue and shot somebody, people would still vote for him. Yeah. You know, the, the, the nature of the fissures in politics at the moment are such. I'd suggest to you that irrespective of all this, and even if it did have substance, I don't think it would impact on the electoral appeal of Mary Lou. I think what you're, what you're seeing here, yeah, you're, 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 you're partially right. It wouldn't have any impact at all and hasn't had in Northern Ireland whatsoever. Uh, and they're just, obviously, they're, they're used to it, they're hardened to it. It's, it's, it's unfortunately been the norm in Northern Irish politics for so long. It hasn't damaged in vain that they have been, a, uh, they've been associated with some pretty awful things up to, up to recently. The trick for Mary Lou is obviously that all that, all that type of activity, and it always has been really, in the last ten years, is kept out of the kind of southern, the southern, you know, the, 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 out of other southern papers, out of the southern media as much as possible, and the, they fight the bread and butter issues here. And all the indications are that that's where the party obviously want to want to fight elections. They don't want to fight it on the armed struggle or of their past whatsoever. Then they, you know, you could even see it in the, in the Northern Ireland election in May. They didn't really want to talk about the border. They wanted to talk about bread and butter issues because that's where their money, that's where they make their, get their votes and that's where the votes are and they were very effective at it. Yes, and on top of that, one of the, I mean, what you're pointing out, I think is correct. One of the things is that Mary Lou, despite her identification and the fact that she's had to defend Adams in the most appalling situations politically and for on awful, awful crimes that he's been linked to, uh, doesn't seem to have suffered at all. Sinn Féin is rising in the South despite all these things because they have so successfully championed issues like uh, health and housing. And that's where they're going to be in the South and that's where they're going to be for good. And even even in uh, recent times, they've, they've, as far as they can, even in the May elections, they haven't talked about the border very much. They've tried to keep that out and you know, they, they'll come up with it from time to time and be absolutely rigid on it. But basically, they fought the Northern Ireland elections, again, on the cost of living and issues like that, because they know that's where the votes are. Yeah, I suppose the border issue has a momentum of, of its own, and, 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 and that, we'll see how that evolves. But back to Mary Lou, the politician. I yeah. mean, uh, did you get a sense, and like, let's face it, if she's in government, mm. uh, as seems likely at the moment, if she's the next Taoiseach, first female Taoiseach, first Taoiseach from n- neither Fianna Fáil nor Fine Gael, Quite possibly the Taoiseach who will be in situ when there's constitutional change in the country. All of those things will require somebody really of substantial ability. Um, do, you, do you think she's up for those kind of challenges or, or is, has she been tested to that extent yet? Well, she hasn't been tested. I mean, this would be, she's quite unique. She was never on a county council, right? She was. She never did any kind of, Training. She was, she was. She's always been in opposition. You know, even she was in Europe, but that's a kind of opposition position when you're in Europe. She was part of a very small, radical, rather eccentric group in Europe. Um, she's part of that. She, she, she yeah. She and, and she's been in opposition in the south, uh, and she'll be moving straight into the Taoiseach's office. That may be difficult for her. It's very difficult. Now she's got great personal skills, which is which is very very important. People like her. She's extremely likable, very agreeable, very bright, very quick. Um, but it will be a huge disadvantage when she's going to have to deal with uh, with making actual decisions, uh, and when she's going to have to move on the border, which is which is going to be a really hard thing for her. You know, the big gap in Mary Lou's uh, border credentials is that she hasn't won the trust of unionists. 
that is that is where she's got to move if she's really. I mean, she's she's a complete you know she's a complete champion and and leader of really the nationalist movement and the nationalist case nationalist case in both South and North. But she's not going to get a united Ireland until she, until she convinces you know the uh, the Arlene Fosters the, and the Jeffrey Donaldsons and the and, and the Unionist Party and the Alliance Party the middle voters that she is, actually has got their interests at heart. That has that she hasn't achieved yet. Um, that's an enormous jump for her to be able to make. But she's you know she's formidable in in personal terms. And one of the things that did strike me when talking to to Donaldson and to and to and to Arlene Foster was that they like her. You know, they're kind of reluctant to say it. You can detect it. They're saying, well, I didn't quite like her, but we don't like her politics. It's a good start. It is. It's something Bertie Hearn had, for instance, as well in spades as well. And as, as you say, that can be that can be a good start. Mm. Um, and the other things you mentioned too, because of how things have evolved, because of how she's acquired the position she has, she's had to stomach stuff coming out from the past uh, of which, as you said, she had absolutely nothing to do with herself. But uh, there was, for instance, Maria Cahill and the way that woman was uh, sexually abused and how that had been dealt with by the IRA and the whole thing. Those kind of incidences, that sort of thing, it must be very difficult to have to deal with, particularly, for, and not in fairness to Mary Lou MacDonald, not just her, but others of her generation within the party who, who, who are focused on, on bread and butter issues. That's, um, that's a tough station. Yeah, she had an absolute nightmare time. And if you want to give her the benefit of the doubt, you can say she was defending Adams, but she didn't believe in what she was doing, which politicians do from time to time. But this was a really serious, deadly serious human I mean, she had to defend Adams on McConville, his position there. She had to defend Adams on and the IRA's position on on, on Maria Cahill, which was really pretty pretty well. I, I, in, and in, just in to defense. point out, Jim, we should point out Jerry Adams has said he was never in the IRA, irrespective yeah. of what people believe. Yeah, yeah, and she said she had to defend it. I mean, she had to say she she had she was asked, did she believe Jerry Adams was ne- never a member of the IRA, as he says, and she says yes, she does now. Nobody else in Ireland is convinced of that, but that's that's just, those are the sort of hoops that she went through, on, on, and there are plenty of others. I list them in one chapter. They just there are an awful lot of them of you know atrocities where she where she, where she wouldn't condemn uh, the IRA for for certain things. And I, I I mean, if you want to give her the benefit of doubt, you say, well, that's what you have to do to get the leadership of Sinn Fein. And I think it was part of what she had to do for the leadership of Sinn Fein. I'm not convinced that she believed what she was saying at the time but it's impossible to know what's going on in her mind. Yeah, as you said, <laughs> there's plenty of occasions when politicians don't necessarily believe what they're, mm. what they're saying. Uh, finally, Shane, you write in the introduction that you, you've known her and you've, you've liked her. And uh, as you said, she didn't cooperate, but you said, We've, we parted as friends and mm. after publication of this book, I hope we can remain so. Mm. Have you heard any word about her reaction to it? Well, I, I haven't, no. I mean, I do hope we can remain friends because I do like her and I, you know, I, she's a very engaging, charming person. I mean, I've never had a drink with her because she, because she didn't, never went to the bar in Leinster House or, or the restaurant. But, but um, her reaction, no, I think the Sinn Féin reaction is, is, very, is, is, is reasonably hostile, but I don't think it's necessarily officially hostile. I haven't felt, you know, huge attacks. There haven't been huge attacks except on social media from from any kind of significant figures. I think 
the, the point is they like to control their own message. That's what they don't like about this. I don't blame them for that. Um, they don't like independent views coming out, which they can contradict if they want to or attack, etc., like that. And this definitely is not, this book is not in Sinn Féin's pocket by any means. I'm sure you'd mm. verify that. Um, uh, and yeah. they, what they would prefer is that I had written something or someone had written something which was a eulogy. That's not going to do her any good anyway. If you do that, it's just going to be thrown in the bin. So I haven't heard of her reaction. Um, I don't expect a kind of hostile personal reaction because that's not how politicians normally behave. It's not, it's not the point. Had I, had I, I mean, the fact that she didn't help made me do a different type job. I did a lot of doorstepping. I, I mean, literally in the book, there's, I'm knocking on a lot of significant people's doors and asking to talk to them because she isn't going to open those doors for me. Uh, and they open the doors and ask me their house sometimes, sometimes they don't, but most of them actually did. And, and, uh, and that, um, that revealed actually a lot of stuff which I wouldn't have got otherwise. If she'd cooperated, I suspect I wouldn't have found out a lot of things which were in the book, which are really interesting, uh, because she'd have given me some really nice stories about, about, you know, about herself and her family. Um, I've got some of those in it anyway. But as it happens, uh, I've got an awful lot more which, which she wouldn't have wanted to see in print. But it's not kind of, it's not defamatory. And some of them, which I've been criticised of uh, about, actually to, uh, to her benefit, you know. I mean, there's, there's interesting, there's a really interesting chapter about her father, uh, or half mm. a chapter. And, and that is, that is, tells you a story which maybe initially you wouldn't like to get out, but actually she comes out of it very well. Yeah, I think she does, actually. If, and and I, I, I did find that interesting. And um, I don't think it's any... Uh, Secret, certainly not that that, that that um her parents' marriage didn't last, and coming out of a particular time in Ireland, most people would prefer you know not to have have, have that publicized. But as you say, I think she does come out well, and I don't think anybody comes out badly out of that. It's no, I think perfectly normal yeah. stuff. Yeah, I mean she's she's obviously very sensitive to it, and of course she is. She was a child, and when they separated, and but but basically the reaction I've got to that from, from most people is got more power to us and she come out really mm. strong out of that as a really strong person and she survived it and her mother comes out of that story extremely strong and well as well as well you know so you know the people say okay it's it's getting too close to the bone in her private life I don't think it really is I think it's actually it's actually something she should she should welcome yeah, I couldn't disagree with you, Shane. I have to say, yeah, um, I found it to be a fascinating read. Um, there are some p- parts of it that perhaps people won't agree with, but then again, that's the best way to be always, that you don't want everyone agreeing with you, you're in trouble altogether. Uh, but I, I think it's definitely worth the read. I have to say, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Mary Lou MacDonald, A Republican Riddle by Shane Ross. Shane, thank you very much for talking to us today. Thanks, mate. Thank you very much indeed. Thanks a lot. I'd also like to thank our engineer, JJ Vernon. Thank you, folks, for listening. And we'll be back with you again next week. Take it handy. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.